everyone. Welcome to the Charbuk Podcast. This is your host Kushal Mehra. All right. Today's topic is titled "Sorrow and Shame: Bengali Hindu Refugees and Nehru." And to talk about it, I have with me Kanchan Gupta Dada. Thanks for coming. So, just to give you guys a brief background as to why we are talking about this, as you know. Uh, we've had 75 years of indian independence and there are a lot of subjects that we should talk about but in the month of august uh, something even more important has uh, other things have also happened in our past and in and that that maybe have not deserved uh, have, have not uh, been given the, the 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 time and the energy and the eyeballs that they deserve so today's topic is in is dedicated to something that does deserve our attention and needs to be discussed a, a historical mistake that has been made in india so maybe i'll request kanchanda to start with laying down a historical uh, landscape as to what has happened when it comes to bengali hindu refugees and what has been done to them so dada i hand it over to you yeah uh, the context really why we are talking today is that uh, on august 14th uh, we observed our first uh, partition horrors remembrance day uh, now for 75 years nobody thought of uh, observing a partition horrors remembrance day uh, because a it did not figure on the list of concerns of those who were in power and b there was always an attempt to whitewash the many crimes of partition uh, 75 years ago now crimes were committed in the western uh, part of pakistan what became pakistan crimes were committed in the eastern part of what became pakistan but uh, historically maybe it's because uh, what uh, rajdeep sardesai calls the tyranny of distance that because of the tyranny of distance uh, some stories never get covered the punjab is closer to delhi so the partition in the west those stories always found dominance or prominence in the partition narrative the amount of uh, literature that was generated uh, and i'm not just talking about uh, fiction uh, kushwan singh's fiction Uh, then uh, baba i'm forgetting the name now um, so uh, th- there was a lot of research which ha- which happened many books that were written the partition archives such as they are they are crammed with material of partition in the west and for some strange reason there is very little reference to there was also a partition in the east when bengal was divided 
into West Bengal and East Bengal. And then East Bengal later, not immediately, but later becomes East Pakistan. Even if you look at academic literature, there is very little and very restricted research that has happened. The record keeping has been very poor. The government, state government's records, the government of India's records are virtually non-existent or if they exist, they have not been placed in the public domain. I, I have a disclosure is, I think, in order. Uh, my parents were from East Pakistan, East Bengal, which what became East Pakistan. My father came as a refugee. He was barely in his teens when he came to this country, accompanied with his widowed mother and siblings. And uh, like millions of others, they lost everything. Uh, they lost their homes, they lost their land, they lost their belongings, their friends, they lost the country which they thought was theirs. Uh, in Bengali, the word desh means not only just country, desh also means the land where you are born, the land where you grow up, the culture, the society, the food you eat, the language you speak, and all of that had to be abandoned. And uh, for earlier, I couldn't figure out why my father or my mother or my uncles or my grandmother, they never talked about partition at home. We, we grew up without knowing anything about partition. What we grew up with uh, was, I mean, my early years in life were years of struggle. We had to, we had to scrimp, we had to, we had to somehow get through the month. And uh, one of the things which was drilled into me that not even a single grain of rice should be wasted. And my mother would not let me, you know, leave the dining table till, I mean, there was even a single grain of rice on the plate. And uh, affluence came as my father rose through the ranks. We, there was a lot of investment in my education. I moved on and then we forgot about it somehow. Partition was not part of any discussion at home. In fact, the language which uh, East Bengali spoke, uh, that language also was never spoken at home. It's only during the lockdown years, the two lockdown years, that I began to discover, and it was essentially to sort of kill time and occupy myself, I began to discover uh, the horrors which my parents 
and as I said, millions of other Bengali Hindu refugees from East Bengal, they had to face. And uh, that curiosity, that sort of created a curiosity and I kept on reading, I kept on delving into papers that were available on the internet. And every day was a day of discovery. And uh, so for me, there were two parts to the horrors of partition. The horrors that, that began in 1946 uh, with Direct Action Day and followed through by the Noakhali riots, then the Dhaka riots, then the exodus happens. And in a way, far more important and far more distressing, far more tragic and far more shaming than that part of the story was what happened with us or what was done to us. And when I say us, I mean the Bengali Hindu refugees who crossed over. Once they crossed over into West Bengal, and naturally much of the uh, traffic or much of the movement was towards Calcutta, the manner in which we were treated, the manner in which we were dealt with, I, I find it very dehumanizing. I find it very humiliating. And there was a lot of shame that, that was attached to it. And, and, and there was a lot of sorrow. So there was sorrow, there was shame, and, and, and of course, the poverty, uh, which, which sort of suddenly became your only possession. So all that you possessed was your poverty. And that, I think, gives the context to why I have been so active on writing about, or, or at least on social media, talking about the horrors of partition in the East and specifically uh, about the Bengali Hindu refugees. So Dada, I just had a question here. Like in Punjabi households, partition, I won't say is shunned away. They do talk about it. But then why is that not been the case in Bengali households then? I see something like this happening in Sindhi households also because my Sindhi friends also don't tend to talk about partition. But in Punjabi households, it's very common to talk about partition and what happened in the partition. You see, there are two, three causative factors, possible causative factors. One is in the West, partition happened in one go. So... A couple of months before partition, a couple of months after partition, that is August 1947. So take give or take four, uh, a month, four to five months, uh, the story gets over. People cross over, they cross over with in great distress. Uh, only some who had crossed over earlier, they, they, they were comfortable. But the vast majority, they were, they were totally distressed. They also were impoverished. But the 
difference was that there was a lot of government support for refugees who came in from the West. There was a lot of uh, local support. There was a lot of community support. And there was a lot of political support. So this is one part. The second part is that rehabilitation was much faster. I mean, I'm not talking about the quality of rehabilitation, but at least the government's effort to rehabilitate people who came in from the West was much more swift. There was greater concern. The entire government leadership was involved. The Congress leadership was involved. Nehru himself was involved. Patel was involved. Uh, But in the East... Uh, we refer to partition as a continuous partition. So one partition happens in 1947. Bulk of the Hindus come over, but many stay back. Many stay back hoping that this is just something very temporary because as I said, that East Bengal was not immediately declared East Pakistan. So Many stayed back hoping that uh, these troubled times could, would get over and life would be back to normal. But life never got back to normal. You had terrible, terrible riots which began in Dhaka and then spread all over the all over East Bengal in 1950. And then through the 1950s, you had continued, uh, continued rioting. So people kept on coming in a continuous trickle or a continuous flow. Then again in the 1960s. So it happens in three phases, 1947, 1950s, 1960s. And of course, we know that in 1971, there was a a huge rush. Now, the attitude of the central government to East Bengali refugees was remarkably different. It was... To put it mildly, it was callous. And if if I were to put it more accurately, I would say it was criminal. Now, I will give you some examples. Uh, We were never classified as refugees. We were made to sign... I will just tell you... We were made to sign an affidavit saying that we had crossed over from East Bengal into West Bengal. Uh, These are the um, names of the family. (coughs) And they have been able to bring in this much money and this much um, gold or whatever, uh, which was very, very nominal because you fled in very distressed times and very distressed conditions. But on the basis of that, you got a card. And that card did not mention the word refugee. You were called either a displaced person or a migrant. Because the assumption of the government was that you are displaced, you are going to go back to your place, you are a migrant, you shall go back to wherever you came from. That was the assumption on which Nehru government worked. And and it was horrible. You see, I am now convinced 
for Mr. Nehru, the Bengali Hindu refugees were uh, were untermenschen. And like Hitler had his Jews, he had the Bengali Hindu refugees to disparage, to despise, to humiliate, to deprive, to dehumanize. And, and I say this with, with all sincerity. I am not saying it just to disparage Mr. Nehru. He, he somehow hated us. And letter after letter he writes to, uh, first of all, the, the, the first chief minister of West Bengal after 1947, Ghosh, he was from the eastern part. And Nehru manipulated, or the Delhi Congress manipulated, his ouster from office. They did not want uh, a, a, a chief minister who would be overtly leaning towards or be compassionate about or be welcoming of the Bengali Hindu refugees. So he is removed and B.C. Roy is installed. Now, most of India believes that B.C. Roy was West Bengal's first chief minister post-1947. So that has been the extent to which history has been erased. The first chief minister, and he was there for almost one year during the crucial months, he was removed. Instead of ensuring political stability at that time, he was thrown out of office through a palace coup which was planned and executed by Delhi. What is the first decision which Nehru takes as Prime Minister uh, of the Dominion of India? To drastically slash central funds from West Bengal. He does it only with the intention of not allowing any extra funds to the West Bengal government to be used for relief and rehabilitation of the Bengali Hindu refugees. What is the other decision which the Nehru government takes? And actually, this is, this is a decision instigated by Nehru. We were put up in, people would land up at Sialda station, tens of thousands. I mean, you know, it, it, it was like uh, the station was cramped. So people would be taken from there and shifted to shanty camps. I mean, they were just uh, tents, Namke was their tents. They were basically uh, tarpaulin you know, sort of stretched out over bamboo poles. And that, and, and that is the season when Bengal is the wettest. There was no power, there was no water, there was uh, no infrastructure, no health facility, not even primary health facility. There were no toilets, nothing. You were just dumped over there. And those camps were called permanent liability camps. So we became or we were perceived as a permanent liability by Mr. Nehru. What is the third decision he takes? He comes out and so do his minions. And what do they say? 
or people are coming in from the east because of the free ration we are giving. What was the free ration? A couple of kilos of inedible rice. What is the fourth decision he takes? He says, or his minions executed, uh, no free ration for men. So, every bit of reading, every piece of paper I went through, it was heart-rending. And repeatedly, Mr. Nehru would write to B.C. Roy, asking him to stop people from coming in from the East, asking him to send back people, telling him that why aren't you discouraging them to, uh, to discouraging them? Why aren't you telling them not to come in? Why aren't you telling them to go back? So all that I can surmise from this that he, he had a very, for him, Bengali Hindus or Bengali Hindu refugees from the East, they were, they were inferior, they were an, they were an inferior race with an inferior culture, with an inferior language. We were dark skinned. We spoke a very rustic language. And then, subsequently, he decides to transship refugees out of West Bengal. Some are sent to Andamans. And those and Andamans now is a tourist destination. Those days, Andamans in 1947 was like an extension of cellular jail. What will it they do in Andaman? It was one vast swamp with mosquitoes, malaria, and no source of livelihood. But they were dumped in Andamans and the southern tip of Andamans. The most inhospitable part of the island. Somewhere sent off to Dandakaranya, a barren land where uh, only, I mean, I mean, there was no inhabit, there was no habitation over there. There were no inhabitants over there, not even tribals. So they were just put onto trucks and sent out. They were transported. So Kushal, in the, uh, you know. Uh, a, a, a famous play was written those days and it, it was later made into a Bengali film uh, called, uh, I will show you the book, I think I have it over here. So this is the book. It says, Nothun Ihudi, New Jews. So we were the new Jews. And we were treated in a similar manner. And that is why it is important to have the Partition Horrors Remembrance Day. Just like Jews have the Holocaust Day to remember their dead, the, their travails, their persecution, their sorrow, their grief, their loss, uh, 
uh, we also need it. We need it to remember, we need it to recollect, we need it to sort of resolve that we shan't allow it ever again. So Dada, I have a question. Well, I'll, while all of this was happening, was there no opposition, nobody raising their voice against this inhuman practice done by the first ever uh, Prime Minister of India who was an active participant in something like this? No, it's interesting you should ask this question because that leads us to into a different direction. You see, B.C. Roy had a certain personal relationship with Nehru. He was Nehru's family physician. Uh, and uh, he was also politically quite ambitious, contrary to popular opinion. And uh, he did not want to disturb his relationship with Nehru, though in all fairness, it could be said that he did try. Uh, now, when you talk about support, political support, political support from whom? The West Bengal Congress. And in fact, that is how the Congress then ultimately reaches a point where in West Bengal today, they don't even win a single seat. Uh, the West Bengal Congress was morally bankrupt. They, 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 they were never politically powerful in the sense that, uh, you see, you have to keep in mind, United Bengal or Bengal as it existed before partition, was a Muslim majority area. So what is the alternative? The alternative was the left. The Communist Party then becomes the savior of the Bengali Hindu refugee. How? Uh, in terms of fighting for their rights, in terms of fighting for their dignity, in terms of fighting for protecting their women, then when the refugees start forcibly occupying land in the outskirts of Calcutta, the southern part of Calcutta, uh, to set up their own refugee colonies, one of them is famously called Bijoy God, which means uh, victory fort. Uh, it is the left which came forward to sort of stand by them. This, the Communist Party of India, that was the undivided Communist Party of India, uh, of West Bengal, their leaders, Jyoti Basu among them, Pramod Das Gupta, all of them become champions of the Bengali Hindu refugee. Now, that... In retrospect, it was it was strategy and tactics at play. But what they managed to do was that they managed to wean away this vast uh, population from potential affiliation with Congress or with any other party to affiliation with the Communist Party. And 
through the 50s and 60s up to the early 1970s, all the agit prop of the left, the crowds were always the Bengali Hindu refugees, whether it was the food agitation, the teachers' agitation, the anti tramfare price hike agitation. Uh, so in each of them, and then leading up to the Naxalite movement, the Naxalite movement, of course, began on an agrarian issue in Naxalbari, in North Bengal. But the, the, uh, the, the boys and girls who joined the movement, they all, or most of them came from the Bengali Hindu refugee families, uh, essentially because... If you read Jhumpa Lahiri's book, uh, and uh, they essentially because there was this very deep-seated resentment, simmering anger, anguish, a sense of humiliation that we were treated in this in this manner for no fault of ours, that we were denied basic human dignity, and that we were pushed to the fringes of the city because Calcutta wouldn't take us, because West Bengal wouldn't take us. So, and because, of course, the government of India didn't want us. So all that repressed rage and anger, all that has been building up uh, for, for a decade or more, you know, refugee children who were born in the late 19, uh, mid-1950s, uh, or 1950, early 19, early 1950s to mid 1950s, they were just about coming of age in the early 1970s or end of 1960s. So between 69 and 71, these were the children who were just entering college, university, uh, or they were unemployed. There were no jobs. And uh, they had nothing to fall back on. They had nothing to lose. So they go and join this movement. And that's why I keep on uh, sort of suggesting people should read Chumpa Lahiri's book, The Lowland, because it gives an excellent perspective. It explains how the Bengali psyche was... The Bengali Hindu refugee never became a permanent liability. I, I, I think between my father and me and my uncles, we have paid more taxes by way of income tax and other indirect taxes than all of Mr. Nehru's descendants. So even today, the taxes I pay, I still work. I have to work for a living. And the taxes I pay today go towards the upkeep of Mr. Nehru's descendants. So they are the permanent liability, not us. But Dada, then refugees come Sarkar, whatever the government was trying to do in its own capacity to make sure they don't come, whatever be the case. But then 
isn't there a bengali society too what what was the society trying to do were there no efforts from the societal level to help uh, you know it's, it's tragic i know i know where you are where you are going um and that's why i gave you the example in the west there was a lot of community support six in east punjab or what we used to call pepsu they came out in full support of refugees uh the gurdwara network was activated langar and shelter water everything was done plus on top of that there was government support government spending which was quite substantial government concern but in the east unfortunately west bengal was not very welcoming of hindu bengali refugees from the east it was a crowded state the density of population was high there was a some there was sense of fear of that these people are going to displace us from our jobs our uh, holdings our house uh, homes so that kind of a fear was either it existed or it was sort of instigated and when you have the central government and when you have somebody like mr nehru repeatedly instigating the state government to send them back stop them from coming in obviously there would be a sense of resistance by the locals you have to also look at the immediate backdrop the terrible famine which bengal fa- faced the the impact of that famine was still lingering on by the time partition happened so food was something considered uh we, so food, no, nobody was ever i mean sort of you know thought of sharing food and and again that is quite understandable when you have a famine of on, of this scale when millions of people die of hunger there would be a huge premium attached to food that if you had rice at home you just kept quiet you didn't sort of uh, give out a few handfuls of rice to a passing refugee family because you didn't know whether that stock at home would get replenished that was the second and the third of course as i said the congress was manipulating the situation constantly and the congress did not want a situation where where the east bengali would sort of become a decisive voice in west bengal politics of course that 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 never worked the east bengalis did become a decisive voice as subsequent politics in the state show but there you know unlike in the west we were not really welcomed with open arms the reasons as i said were many the famine the density of population uh, 
the turbulence of partition in the sense that the British were leaving, uh, the economic future didn't seem very uh, didn't seem very certain, and uh, in these circumstances, noble thoughts of sharing and caring they sort of tend to evaporate. But Dada, this is fascinating that the sense of community and a Bengali identity is uh, eroding so much. I like I like. मैं पंजाबियों को सुबह से शाम तक सुनाता रहता हूं अगर एक चीज है भले वो हिंदू पंजाबी हो या सिख में सरदारों में हो या मुसलमानों में हो एक वो यूनाइटेड पंजाबी आइडेंटिटी का रूब्रिक है आज भी तो अगर कुछ होगा सो दे डू काइंड ऑफ यू नो ट्राई टू हेल्प ईच अदर आउट एंड स्टफ लाइक दैट आई मीन दिस इज शॉकिंग फॉर मी टू हियर दैट इवन द लोकल बंगाली पॉपुलेशन इज लाइक यार क्या हो रहा है क्या जरूरत है काइंड ऑफ थिंग इट्स एक्चुअली शॉकिंग फॉर मी वेल यू नो you have to keep in mind again i mean like uh, east punjab or pepsu did not uh, or what became pepsu they did not suffer a famine there was enough food they had an established uh, community structure the gurdwaras uh, network and and there were family linkages across what what came to be known as the ratcliffe line so you had families living in amritsar who had relatives living in lahore uh, you had families living in uh, somewhere else hoshiarpur or something who had relatives and families living in karachi so it went on and on and on but in bengal there was very little shared uh, kinship so the river you know was the divider and on the people who lived on the east of the river they they sort of were a community by themselves and people who lived west of the river they were a community by themselves and there was a there was quite a huge cultural divide there was there was a language divide the language we spoke was not the same as the language spoken in west bengal and even in east bengal there were other uh, sort of variations that were spoken the language spoken in sylhet was not the same as language spoken in dhaka the languages spoken in sylhet and dhaka were not the same as the language spoken in calcutta so there was this divide there was a divide in terms of food preferences what the east bengalis ate and what the west bengalis ate there was a, a there were minor but quite significant differences in rites and rituals there was also a a social divide in the sense that uh, bengalis in the east tended to be more focused on education on professional services on uh, jobs and things like that in the west they were mostly traders uh or uh, 
you know, education was there, but it was a very elitist thing. It was not a mass thing. In fact, education becomes a mass thing in West Bengal only after the influx of the Bengali Hindu refugees. So these divisions mattered. And again, I refer that I don't think it was some great ill will, but it was the fear of the unknown that, you know, these are the hordes coming in. We are so densely packed in this state, in Calcutta at least. Now, what will happen? Will they take over my home? Uh, what about jobs? Will they take over my jobs? And and that sort of fear creates a sense of paranoia. And that paranoia, that fear was sort of largely, I think, instigated by the Congress. And exploited by the uh, communists. So, I mean, what was so, like, I know, but I have to ask this again, like, did he, like, did, did the Congress party led by the then prime minister have some special hatred for the Bengalis? Like, I mean, Sindhis were also uh, displaced and I, and I think Sindhis had to face the maximum horror because they to lost the complete landmass, right? Sindhiyon ko to kuch mila hi nahi, Sindh to pura Pakistan mein reh gaya in that sense. I mean, what is so uniquely problematic for them? I I actually find this point about the famine very interesting because yes, economics can, you know, a lot of uh, uh, things in life are kind of directly related to economic position. And, and I guess the famine must have created a really horrifying situation in Bengal in that sense. But I still don't get like, what was the first prime minister's deal? I mean, why would the first prime minister of India have such... I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. It seems like hatred. No. I think he wanted a pretty partition. I think he believed that partition would be a very pretty affair with ribbons and roses and wine. It didn't quite turn out that way. And... Again, because of the proximity of uh, Punjab and Delhi, concerns were much more over here. Congress politics was, it was much deeply uh, embedded over here. Uh, it was, it was, it was quite reasonable to expect that refugees from the West would get greater attention and the distance between delhi and calcutta uh, sort of killed that expectation now having said that if you go through again i come back his correspondence with bc roy the decisions of his cabinet and those decisions could not have been taken uh, without Nehru's approval or endorsement. Or it cannot be claimed that they were taken despite his objection. I mean, unless you have a deep-seated hate 
unless you are convinced that these the, these people comprise an underclass which doesn't deserve to survive to live unless you you have a problem with them which is uh, which is racial and that's why i use the word untermenschen so ironically you know the and way the pakistani you, is treated uh, just i have a that, question here dada unless that that be the case why would he slash west bengal's funding why would he slash the ration why would he slash uh, all uh, refugee expenses why would he label them as permanent liability and on top of that don't forget nehru was so convinced that these chaps are coming in needlessly just to have his free food of a few kilos of inedible rice that he goes and signs an agreement with liaquat ali khan the great nehru liaquat pact and nehru believes that muslim league will look after hindus i mean if that nehru liaquat pact was nothing but mr nehru's clever ploy the mr nehru's great indian rope trick to try and fool bengali hindus into going back to east bengal stroke east pakistan and to stop the remaining from coming in this is this borders on criminality sorry you were asking something nay dada because i get reminded of the exchanges during the pakistan when 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 the partition of pakistan happened the, the break up in 1970s happened so i remember one of the things uh, from the bangladeshi side would always be that the 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 west pakistan side and the east pakistan side is they would always call the bengali muslim even uh, let alone the hindus they would call them are ye to kale hain you know it, there was a clear uh, racist and uh, skin color obsessed undertone even inside the pakistani discourse i mean you can listen to pakistani intellectuals also talking about it uh, the very few pakistani honest intellectuals left inside and outside of pakistan they also talk about thing, things like you know how the 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 bangladeshi the bangladesh side of when it was pakistan was actually considered inferior of many things their their clothing was different their their clear the 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 food habits were different and they were dark skinned and i see some shocking parallels in 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 the indian treatment i mean it's almost as if you know this uh, this uh, racist undertone is universal both in india and pakistan no you know i could be misconstrued if i were to say this and i hope i am not misconstrued i mean no offense and i i definitely do not uh i definitely do not wish to sound racist or not do i have any intention to be racist 
you see, people who came in from West Pakistan or the western part of Punjab, they were fair-skinned. Like Mr. Nehru was fair-skinned. But the Bengali Hindu refugee, unfortunately, who came in from East Bengal stroke East Pakistan, was dark-skinned. He was a rice-eating, dark-skinned native. I am dark-skinned. But I have no issues. I mean, that's the that, that's what I am, who I am. My, my genes determine that I should be dark-skinned. My origins cannot be denied. So, what you referred to as uh, uh, closet racism, I don't think it was closet racism at all. It was full-blown racism. That, and hence I said, and I have written this, I have written about this, I have said it in, from said it from other pub, uh, public platforms. Mr. Nehru thought of the Bengali Hindu refugee as racially inferior to be treated in this inhuman, indignified, humiliating manner. There was no, there was no sense of equality between the refugee and Mr. Nehru, at least from Mr. Nehru's perspective. Well, long live this uh, great old secularist Nehru. Dada, we thought questions Lena Shrukartam because there are a lot of yeah. them and uh, the many people have asked many questions. So I'll I'll start uh, from the first one. Um itself uh, okay. How do how does one I think this is asked by a Bengali kid also? So how do we propagate your message, Dada, to young Bengalis? I think this is a young Bengali kid who's asking you this question. Well, that's why we need something called the Partition Horrors Remembrance Day. So that we are reminded at least once a year of who we are, where have we come from, why did we come, and what happened to us? That's one part. Second is, stories need to be told. In retrospect, my parents or my father did not tell us stories because they felt ashamed. There was a sense of great shame that, uh, you know, my father, uh, my father's great-grandfather, or great-great-grandfather, was the Diwan of Tripura state. And uh, they had a pretty affluent life. My grandmother was widowed very early in life. And uh, my maternal, uh, or my father's maternal grandfather was one of uh, the leading Vaids of that time. Um, he was called Shishir Kobiraj. And a lot of uh, 
there, there's a lot of record that still exists in Bangladesh, and old timers would still recollect his name. And he had loads of money to look after his daughter, uh, her children. And all that disappears. And the shame of having to come here. You know, my, my grandmother had to sort of collect water for the house from the street uh, community uh, pump, hand pump. And she could not reconcile herself to actually being seen as using the community head pump. So she would get up at 3 in the morning, 3.30 in the morning, while the rest of the place was fast asleep. She would quietly sneak out, pump water, carry it home, fill up the uh, vessels at home. I mean, the, the buckets and tubs or whatever. She, she had to occasionally sell a piece of jewellery. And such was the shame that she was selling her jewellery to feed herself and her children. Uh, she would use very tortuous uh, methods, you know. I mean, somebody would be contacted and he would be given that and he would then pass it on to somebody else and then somebody else. So... Girls had to, you know, start working very early. If you read uh, a very fine novel or if you watch Ritwik Ghatok's uh, film version of the novel, Meghe Dhakatara, the girl goes out to work to save her family. And in the end, she, she contacts consumption and she dies. And her last words, words to her brother... I just wanted to live. So this, this sense of shame, of sadness, and, and sort of, you know, it pushed them into, a, I guess, it pushed them into a, some sort of denialism that, no, it never happened. It did not happen. So if I don't talk about it, if I don't mention it, then I can pretend it never happened. So we must get out of it. We must talk about it. There is no shame in talking about it. There is no, there is no shame in admitting and accepting that we came in as refugees, we rebuilt our lives, and we are where we are today. And thirdly, we must never ever forget the crimes that were committed Crimes that were committed against us by the Muslim League rioters in Noakhali, in Dhaka, uh, that, that is recorded. That can never be denied. But the crimes that were committed against us by Mr. Nehru and his minions, they now need to be recorded very specifically with dates, with year, every mention of the letter that he wrote, every letter that he wrote to B.C. Roy, all the decisions that he took, those need to be recorded and brought into the public and popular domain. People need to be told, retold, re-retold, till it is imprinted in their minds and it passes on from one generation to another. And lastly, you know, Kushal, uh, there is this thing that Mr. Nehru was so popular, so popular that people would not dare raise their voice in front of him.
and and sort of you know every time he would make an appearance there would be a a, a silence would descend so i think in 1950 uh, something thereabouts he visited calcutta and shoes were thrown at him by bengali hindu refugees they were waiting for that opportunity i i would not condemn it i mean i i'm not sort of saying that that was a very good thing to do but that just shows the amount of hate he had and the amount of reciprocal uh, dislike that he provoked another question dada another question again from a bengali kid do you think today's bourgeois bengalis or rather bhadralok kolkata folks also to are to be blamed for forgetting the atrocities endured by bangladeshi refugees or it's the other way around they have highlighted it no bangladeshi refugees are different uh, i'm not referring to people no i i guess the person meant by bangladeshi refugees bengali hindu refugees mm-hmm. so you know the uh, bengali bhadralok samaj of the educated middle class upper middle class affluent society was always duplicitous always morally vacuous and always without a backbone they would sway with the wave and they would they would just suck up to who was whoever was in power so what you see today is the uh, remains of that uh, bhadralok society and they couldn't be any different i have i have no love lost for them uh, they they are pretentious they are uh, they are they are like hollow men and that's why you know <laughs> just an anecdote when dr ashok mitra who was also incidentally an east bengali hindu uh, the great marxist economist uh, when he resigned as finance minister in jyoti basu's left front government one of the statements that he that preceded his resignation was to the to his secretary the finance secretary and it was i am not a bhadralok i am a communist so we try to we pretend that the badge of bhadralok is some is a badge of great honor but uh, i don't think it is a badge of great honor most bengalis don't give a damn about the so called bhadralok class they have always been duplicitous they have always been self seeking uh, they have always been self centered and they have sort of with their noses stuck up in the air they have preened and uh, their feathers to pretend that they are a they are a class apart they are not 
so why even bother thinking about them fair enough so now okay a lot of questions are about i guess nehru's reaction to the hazratwal incident in 1964 and the subsequent massacre of bangladesh uh, bengali uh, hindus uh, yeah that, that was that is you see the hazratwal incident when the prophet's relic went missing or was alleged to have gone missing and this was in srinagar but you had vicious rioting in east pakistan targeting hindu bengalis over there by then the remaining hindu bengalis or bengali hindus in east pakistan were largely members of the depressed classes or what we call the scheduled castes and uh, they were also the most vulnerable so they were viciously set upon there was horrific killing then rapes uh, people were virtually evicted from their home and hearth and again the only place they could think of coming and seeking shelter was india kushal i mean you know we keep on saying we keep on hearing that india is the only country for hindus but that is a fact hindus really have no other country to either call their own or where they can seek refuge had there been any other country we would have gone there we wouldn't have come here but i'm glad that my parents came here and i am i am i'm deeply on i mean sort of i consider myself blessed that i was born in this great nation and i grew up an indian दादा मगर एक 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 विचित्र सा धोखा ये भी तो है जब ईदी अमीन ने जब हमारे साथ हमारे हिंदुओं के साथ जो किया था और बाकी इंडियंस के साथ किया था तभी भी भारत ने हिंदुओं को लेने के लिए कुछ नहीं किया था इट वाज द वेस्टर्न नेशंस दैट एंडेड अप टेकिंग हिंदूज नो 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 कुशल इट इट वाजंट क्वाइट लाइक दैट द इंडियंस इन you see you indians in uganda they many of them had dual nationality they also had british passports or they had not taken up ugandan citizenship they had a british passport and britain was obligated britain was it was britain could not have said said no to them so it was very natural for them to leave uganda for britain number 1 number 2 if they had chosen to come to india india would have happily taken them so i don't think there was ever any suggestion that they should not come or that you know they that they should go to britain you know it's very curious many of the sikhs stuck in uh, afghanistan 
And when Kabul was sort of tottering and on the verge of falling, they were being told to leave for India. And uh, we, if I remember, if I if I know this correctly, they were being offered special visas or even travel without visa to come to India. But they kept on saying that they would rather go to Canada or to America or to Europe. So they were bargaining for that kind of an immigration. I don't hold it against them. It's their preference. It's their choice. So similarly, the the, the, the Indians in Uganda, they exercise their choice. Okay. All right. Um, I mean, other questions are about do people remember the role of the Razakars in the Bengali Hindu genocide? I guess everybody remembers their role. Um, um, more questions. I mean, they are similar lines as a community. Why have a majority of Bengali Hindus forgotten not just 1947, 71, but even the, the role or the horror committed before that? I don't think so. Bengali Hindus have forgotten that. I don't know why this assumption exists. I mean, do you think Bengali Hindus have forgotten or they don't have any continuous civilizational memory? There was a lot of ideological er erasing which happened. For instance, the Morichabi massacre, uh, which happened when the CPM was in power. The victims were East Bengali refugees, Hindu refugees. And... Uh, it was a great cover-up. Till date, we don't know how many died, how many went missing, how many fell into the estuaries and were eaten by crocodiles. And uh, I guess it's too late to reopen an investigation uh, because the CPM ensured that no evidence remained. Not only no evidence, even a book. I mean, books which were written on Morit Chapi. Uh, publishers were discouraged from publishing them. So there was an unofficial ban on their publication. Uh, so that creates vacant spaces in memory. And then... Uh, that leads to the absence of what you call continuous memory. All right. Now, this is a very specific question about a very specific incident. They're saying, can you please ask Kanchan Dada uh, about a very specific attack that... Uh, in 1947 plus in 1971, uh, it was not just Bengali Hindus who were attacked, it was Bengali Muslims too, uh, as they were not Urduized enough uh, in uh, uh, by Muslims of Bihar. Is that true? Yes, there was always a very uh, strange relationship between... Oh, what were called Bihari Muslims, those are the Urdu-speaking Muslims, mm -hmm. and the Bengali Muslims who were the Bengali-speaking Muslims. Mm -hmm. Now, 
Bengali speaking Muslims were more uh, sort of integrated into the larger Bengali society. But the Urdu speaking Muslim or the Bihari Muslim was sort of the uh, the sort of you know he symbolized uh, Muslim yeah. separatism. Yeah, the elite and, Muslim. And, and and no 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 not only elite. Uh, uh, in fact, bulk of the Bihari Muslims were jute mill workers. They were uh, port workers, so they came as migrant labor from Bihar. And uh, during partition, a lot of these, if not all Bihari Muslims, they migrated to East Bengal and then East Pakistan. Strangely, the Bengalis of East Pakistan and later Bangladesh, they never allowed the Bihari Muslim and again, Bihari Muslim means the Urdu-speaking Muslim. Anywhere near themselves. So they were like the Mohajis. They were the permanent outcasts. They were forced to live outside the city in shanty towns. And after 1971, they, they were really, really hated. And they risked death. And Pakistan government, despite repeated promises of airlifting them and evacuating them to Pakistan, never did so. Sadly, tragically, and worrisomely, those Bihari Muslims have now migrated back to West Bengal as illegal immigrants. And all the... the... the, the radicalism that you are witnessing is largely triggered by them. Interesting. Uh, Tada, before we wrap it up, uh, just one last question and maybe then we can wrap it up. Uh, is there any uh, online resource like a proper website where uh, stories of uh, this horrifying treatment of uh, you know Hindus from what was then East Pakistan, today Bangladesh, when during the partition happened. Uh, are there individual stories that we can relate to, that we can go and read or we can follow up? Is there any kind of effort going on? Oh, yes, to... there are. There are there, there, there are some books which are very good, some papers which have been written that are very good. I would recommend read up Joya Chakraborty's papers. Uh, and I would also recommend Tathagato Roy's book uh, called My People. I, If you are a Bengali, you should read uh, a lot of Sunil Ganguly's literature was on, on, on those who suffered partition. Orjun or Arjun. It's available in English also. You should read that. Uh, you should read uh, Jhumpa Lahiri's book, The Lowland. Uh, you should uh, you should also sort of you know uh, read uh, as much as you can on Morid Chapi. A lot of it is available on the net, 
and uh, of course a very good book was published on morichapi a couple of years ago in english which has a, which is actually a survivors a collection of survivors tales you can read them so there is there is literature it's just that it's scattered all over the place it's it's not sort of collated it's not categorized it's not cataloged and there are some websites which are basically individual efforts to try and uh, do some amount of uh, uh, record keeping but uh, but clearly not sufficient all right i i you know, I, Kushal, you know Kushal, it's so sad uh, there was uh, some very good exhibitions were mounted in delhi uh, to mark partition horrors remembrance day and those photographs were so haunting and every photograph the context was explained but out of some 100 odd photographs there were only two photographs or one i i could spot only one of bengali hindu refugees so this was the scale of disdain this was the level of contempt that over the years even record records have been sort of destroyed it's not possible that photo division did not have photos of east bengalis it's not possible that uh the government of west bengal did not have records but nothing was done nothing was collected and this loss is also meant to result in a loss of memory and that is something which we must resist well i i sincerely hope this happens uh, one of the things that i have tried to speak again and again this is not the first time i've tried to talk about the the plight of the bengali hindus and the plight of the bengali hindus because of the partition of india and and i don't know how to say it but very few communities understand what it actually feels what partition means what it means to be uprooted i think in that sense punjabi sindhi and bengali communities have something in common they have that uh, that that connection of loss of land loss of family loss of life and loss of many things uh i i would charge myself to be guilty of not doing a single podcast till now about sindhi refugees and and their plight and 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 actually the story of the sindhis is very similar to the story of the bengalis in fact i would say sindhis have gone to the next level in completely erasing the horror of partition in fact in the case of the sindhi community because they don't have a, even a small patch of land it's very hard for the sindhi language to survive and people what people don't realize is language is directly connected to culture and if the language falls many nuances and many things in the culture will fall at least in the case of punjabi and bengali refugees they have some swath of land the sindhis don't even have land so maybe one day my podcast i'll try to get a few sindhis to talk about the efforts that are being made inside the sindhi community also but today it was about the horror of the bengali community and uh, dada as always thank you for coming and sharing these stories with me and i hope that you uh, 
you know young bengali kids listen to this i know a few young bengali kids listen to the podcast regularly maybe they can make a website or something where they collate all the data reading material and everything that you are talking about and maybe they can reach out to you and you can guide these young kids also so dada thank you very much for coming thank you kushal and uh, i know a lot of it lot of what i said must be excruciatingly boring but you know it needs to be said and it needs to be said again and again and again so that we don't forget and it's important to remember so that we don't suffer again so on with that thank you once again all right guys we'll wrap today's discussion up again if you have any questions maybe you can reach out to dada on twitter i've shared dada's twitter handle in the description of the podcast as far as i'm concerned please keep supporting the charbak podcast uh, your support means the most to me because if you keep supporting me i can keep talking about these issues again and again and again and i will not stop doing that i i promise you i'll even talk about the sindhi refugee crisis and i'll try my best to get many voices over there too i'll see you guys next time until then take care bye bye